Good to be back in worshiping with you. Good to be gathered around the truth of the Word of God. And so it is with that confidence and that hope that we come now to our message this morning. As I mentioned last Sunday, if you were here, today is the day of our annual meeting. And some of you hear meeting and you go, gross, meeting, business. But it really is great. And I invite all of you back here tonight at 6.30. We have our annual members meeting and... um, This is a time where we look back on the previous year and we celebrate what God has done by his grace and it's a chance for us to look forward and talk about the things that he is calling us to and leading us to and get some ministry updates and it's a very encouraging time. This is also when we welcome new members into Grace Bible Church and so there are 10 individuals tonight who are joining memberships. It's going to be really exciting as we hear testimonies of God's goodness and as we look forward to the year ahead. And so I invite you to come back. There's dinner provided at 5.30, and then we will have the meeting at 6.30. And so every year on the day of our annual meeting, I pause from our regularly scheduled programming, and I deliver a message about what we want to be in the coming year of ministry together. Things that we want to emphasize, things that the Lord is calling us to a church. And so this morning, I want to encourage us as we enter into now this fourth year of ministry together, and as I was thinking and praying about what does our church need right now in this moment, and of course there are a lot of foundational things. We need the grace of God. We need the word of God. We need, but I'm talking what do we need specifically? What is on my heart and the elders' hearts as we lead into this next season of ministry And my desire, as as we stand now and enter this fourth year, is that everyone in this church, if you call Grace Bible Church your home church, that everyone be connected to God and connected to one another. And we're going to talk about what that means this morning. My desire is that you have a relationship with God and that you strengthen that through the regular study and interaction with His Word and that you are connected to the believers that are around you, those whom we call the family here at Grace Bible Church. So as we enter this next season of ministry, I want to challenge us this morning that we maintain and strengthen these connections, that we are drawing strength from the Lord and from His Word and also from one another as we live and work together. Now, Just because I have this desire does not mean that it is right. Amen to that? I mean, I could stand up and say, oh, I have this desire that we do this, or I could use the word vision. That's a real catchy word. I I have a vision for this church. But if I don't connect that to the scriptures, if I don't show you in the Bible where this desire is coming from, you shouldn't follow me anywhere. So my task this morning is to open the Bible, and I'm going to take you to Matthew 22, and we are going to see Jesus answer a question from the religious leaders about what is the pinnacle, what is the great commandment that we are given as the children of God. And after we talk about that, I'm going to apply that to our life and our ministry and our living together here at Grace Bible Church. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I don't want you to just say, oh, well, that's what the pastor wants. I guess we have to do this. I want to show you from the Bible. That's my job, to show you from the Bible where these things are coming from. So if you haven't done so, and you probably haven't, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we are going to read just a short section, verses 34 to 40 and see Jesus in this interaction 
with the religious leaders. So if you have your Bible, please follow along. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would help us as we seek to understand your word, as we seek to apply your word to the way that we live and minister together here at Grace. I pray, Lord, that you would take me out of the way. This is my desire, but it is not only my desire. It is what you have commanded us in your word, that we love you and know you and that we love and know one another. And so please, Father, come and help us to understand what you require from us in your word. And we give you thanks for the promise of your spirit who opens the word to us. We don't read the Bible like any other book because it is unlike any other book. And so I pray that this morning, Lord, you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and in everything we do, I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would receive the praise and the glory that he is due. And so it is in his name that I pray, amen. I want to give you just a little context because we dropped right into the book of Matthew. So let me just back up in the chapter and give you a really short overview of what's going on here. Jesus has been teaching the people, as he normally does, and he's been saying wildly controversial things like pay your taxes and other things that are getting people really riled up. And the Sadducees come up and they try to trip him up in his words. So there's two main groups of religious leaders in Jesus' day. There are the Pharisees and there are the Sadducees, and they're sort of on the same team, but they don't really like each other. And so they come up to him, they're going to try to trip Jesus up. And they, they share with him this wildly unlikely, unrealistic account. And they say, okay, this woman marries a man, and before they can have any children, the husband dies. And so in order to keep with Jewish law and tradition, she marries his brother. Well, before they can have kids, he dies. And then she marries another brother. It turns out there's seven single brothers that just happen to be living in the same village as this woman. And she marries all of them. Like, this is just far-fetched, okay? And what they're trying to do is trip Jesus up about the resurrection. Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. So they ask him, so with all of these men she had been married to, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus sees right through what they're doing. He's not going to bite, but he is wise to their scheming. So he gives them this scathing rebuke. You can back up a verse and see this in verse 29. Jesus answers them, you are wrong because you do not know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Ouch. Right? He is talking to the premier religious leaders and he says, you're wrong and you don't know God or his word. Okay, so he, he silences them. He's not going to engage in that kind of debate. Well, the Pharisees have kind of been watching around the corner, right? And they're seeing this and they're going, oh, good, he silenced those guys. So they're kind of happy about that, but also this is a win for Jesus, so they're not happy about that. They're kind of caught in the middle. So they get together and they devise a plan, right? And this is where we pick it up in verse 34. 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, so this is someone trained in debate, in rhetoric, in winning arguments, a lawyer asks Jesus a question to test him. So there's no genuine curiosity here. There is no desire to know the truth. This is simply an opportunity for them to try to trip Jesus in his words and find occasion to publicly humiliate or disqualify him in his teaching. So here's the question that they ask him. You can see this in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, you might not think that's like a wildly controversial question or even an opportunity to be tripped up, but think about it. If Jesus says, oh, that's easy, you shouldn't steal, that's the greatest commandment, or something like that, they could say, oh, but wait a minute, what about all these other laws? What about everything else that we're commanded to do? Don't you think that's important too, Jesus? So they're, they're trying to back him into a corner and get him to admit something that is not true or unhelpful. Well... It doesn't work. <laughs> the trick question does not work. Jesus sees through what they're doing, and he responds by quoting from Moses, right? From the law, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so he's too wise for their trap, and in response to their question, so they say, what's the greatest command? He gives us what Scott McKnight calls the central foundation for all Christian ethics and behavior. Okay, this this guides and dictates how the children of God are to live their life. So here's the answer. Look at verse 37. This answer comes in two parts, and we're going to take both of them individually. So the first one, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus quotes from the Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is something that is an irrefutable answer, okay? When he says this back to the Pharisees, there's nothing they can say. Which one of those Pharisees is going to stand up and say, gotcha, we shouldn't love God? No one's going to say that, right? So he answers in a wise way by saying, the main goal of the law, the main goal of obedience is to know and love God. And he layers all these other things in there. But also... This is not just irrefutable because it puts God at the center, but because it puts God at the center of everything. You notice the inclusive language, heart, soul, mind. There's other places where we see heart, soul, mind, strength. This is an all-inclusive kind of love that Jesus is saying. You want to obey God? You want to do what is the highest good of the law? Then love the Lord your God. But notice in verse 38 that Jesus says this is not only the greatest, but the first commandment. First meaning order of priority, right? So this is the goal. Obedience to God's law means to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. But also calling this the first commandment means that there's more coming. And this is where we see in verse 39. He says, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here we see the importance of the order of these two things, right? When Jesus doesn't say anything out of order. He does not say anything wrong. He says everything right and in the right order. If Jesus had said that the most important command was to love your neighbor as yourself and then out of that or subservient to that is loving God, what would that have done? That would have flipped everything on its head. That would have put 
mankind or human beings as the ultimate good, the, the pinnacle of law-keeping is just love one another. But he doesn't do that. He gets the order right. He does not remove God from being the highest and the greatest good, but he affirms that God is the highest and the greatest good in all the scriptures. So they're trying to get him to admit something or to say something that is wrong publicly so that they can have an accusation against Jesus. But Jesus won't let it stand. He responds in such a way where there is nothing that they can say. Nobody is going to argue with this. And Jesus knows it, so he is shutting them down. But not only will he not let that stand, but in so doing, he is giving us a model. A model for how we ought to order our affections. That the highest good of your life, the most valuable thing you can do with your time and your mental energy and your resources is to love God. That is the dominating principle of the Bible, to know and love God, and everything else flows out of that. And that's why I think Jesus quotes this in this order, where he says, this is the first, this is the most important, and a second is like it. Now this concept of putting God first, of keeping him at the center and the top of everything, is so central. It is so uh, at the middle of what it means to be a child of God that Jesus goes so far in verse 40 to say, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. You see that in verse 40? And that word depend sometimes is translated as hinges or hangs. Okay, I think the NIV renders it that the, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a good translation. Let me illustrate how important this is. Think of a, we'll go with the hinge thing. Think of a door, like at your house or here at the church. What makes a door a door? Why don't we just say, oh, that's a piece of wood that's standing there? The door is a door because that's how it functions. It's on hinges. It opens and it comes back closed and it does all the things that a door does, which I guess that's pretty much it, opening and closing. But if you take away the hinges, it's just a piece of wood, just a piece of fiberglass. It's not a door anymore. So if you take away the thing that makes it do what it needs to do, it ceases to have relevance, it ceases to be functional. Likewise, Jesus is saying, if you take this away from the law, if you remove loving God and loving neighbor, the rest of the Bible, the law and the prophets, that is summary verbiage for all of the scriptures, are going to be irrelevant. That is really strong language, isn't it? To say, there's these two things that I'm talking about. You take that out, everything else is gone. This is how important it is. This is the emphasis that Jesus is driving home. Not only to win the argument, but for our sake. That we can come to know that at the center of your Christianity, at the center of being a Christian, a child of God, is loving God. And letting the love of God that he has shown to us motivate our love for one another. I don't believe that you can have true and genuine love for other people unless you have true and genuine love for God. All the other imitations of love that exist around us, all the definitions, all of the practices, they are false if they are not grounded on love for God. How else do we know how to love rather than to look at the example and the architect of it? 
John would tell us, we love because God loved us first. There is order of priority here. Or another way he says it, I think this is really good, 1 John 2, John says that if someone is in the light, and that's, that's John language for being a Christian, if someone is in the light and yet hates his brother, he's really not, he's in darkness, he's not a Christian. So you see what he's saying? In order for people to love, you have to be connected to God. You have to be a child of God. You have to know what love is based not on your subjective experience and your background, but you need to know what God says it is. And this is why the order is so important, that we know what love is because God has demonstrated that to us in so many different ways. And when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, in all of our, the entirety of your being, you can finally start to understand what it means to love the person sitting next to you, to love the people that live in your house with you, to love the people that you work with that drive you nuts. Until you understand what God has done and what it means to love him, you are not going to make any progress in loving those around us. So, when we talk now about what it means to be connected to God, to be connected to one another. I want to show you how this teaching of Jesus, the, the great commandment, grounds or is the foundation for that kind of living and that kind of loving. And the reason that I took this much time just explaining the great commandment to you is because I think that what Jesus says here in these two answers fit really nicely. They line up perfectly with the two parts of my desire for us to be connected to God and be connected to one another. And like I said, I want you to see that this is not just Jacob up here spouting off some kind of profound thing, which is actually not that profound, but I want you to see that this comes from the Bible. So we have Jesus' commandment, which is picking up from the Old Testament, which shows us the consistency to love God and to love the people around us. So let's apply this now as we think about the coming year of ministry together here at Grace. Let's take these one at a time. So first, connection to God. This is my desire that every one of you have a vibrant relationship with Almighty God, that you are connected to Him. So when Jesus says that the great and first commandment is to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind we should be asking a couple of follow-up questions, right? Number one, why is this the greatest commandment? And number two, what would it look like if we were to do this? Those are good questions. So we shouldn't just say, oh, okay, that's what we're supposed to do, and then move on. We should pause for a moment and see what this looks like. So why is this the greatest commandment? Why does Jesus go here rather than saying it another way or saying something else? This is the greatest commandment because God Almighty is the greatest reality in all of the created universe. Therefore, knowing Him and loving Him, these are not small, insignificant things. To be connected to the source of all life, to be connected to the God who is living and active, who is all-powerful, who is sovereign, this is not something small. This is the greatest commandment because God is the greatest reality in all of the world. you got to get this. 
This is not some tribal deity, some small kind of localized idol that was carried over from Egypt or whatever. This is Almighty God. And the fact that we can even know Him and love Him and know His Word revealed to us here is unbelievable. So the greatness, the significance, the weight of this commandment comes in the fact that it is dealing with the highest reality in all the universe. Now, I didn't say the world, I said universe. That is everything. So Jesus says this is great. But knowing God and loving God does not only come to us in the form of command. So this is, this is commandment language, like they're even using that, right? What's the greatest command? And sometimes we hear command and we hear oh, duty and struggle and work and stuff. That's not what we should hear. But if you do hear that, let me just remind you that not only is this commanded or instructed in the Bible, this is also the desire of Jesus' heart for his people. John 17, John is recording the high priestly prayer of Jesus and in John 17, 3, here's what Jesus prays. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is praying to the Father, right? And his request is that his followers, his disciples who are right there with him, and then later he prays for all of us who are going to hear about him through the apostles' teaching. Jesus' desire is that all of us would know God. And this is what I mean when I say that my desire is for you to be connected to God, is that you know him. What does it mean? I, that's a pretty nebulous thing for me to say. Well, I, I want you to be connected to God. Well, what is that? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Do I mean like some kind of weird meditation thing where you kind of and you open your mind and try to get this radio frequency thing. No, we know God by knowing his word. This is where he is. This is where his will is revealed to us. So when I talk about being connected to God, I am talking, do you know him through the word? Is the Bible your life? Does it govern and dictate your decision-making and your process of elimination and your love and your entertainment and your use of your body? Does it govern those things? Do you know Him? Are you connected to Him? This is the highest good, the greatest command that we are given, to love the Lord, and you cannot love something you do not know. You can't. Therefore, in our attempt to follow in obedience to what Jesus is saying and what his desire for his people is, we must know God. You can't just say, yeah, I want to love God and then keep your Bible shut. That doesn't work. We have to be engaged with the word. I'm going to talk about that as we close here in a few minutes. Well, what about the second part of my desire? That we be connected to one another. Do we see that here in this commandment? I think so. Jesus said, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine here, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now when he says, a second is like it, what is he doing? What is he saying when he, when he says, okay, here's the greatest commandment, and here's all the significance. In fact, this is so important that everything hangs on it. What is he saying now when he says, a second is like it? He is taking all of the weight, all of the significance, all of the grandeur 
of loving God and he is translating that onto the second commandment. He is saying, as important as it is that you know God and you love him and the totality of your life is shaped by that knowledge, so is this. A second is like it. So all of the significance of this first commandment come and are now transposed onto the second one. Now I know I said earlier that the second one flows out of the first, and that is true, but that does not mean that we should say, okay, I'm going to love God because that's really important, but I'm going to kind of let this one slide off to the side. That's not quite as important. Jesus won't let that stand. A second is like it, meaning as significant as that is, so is this. Tracking with me? So that's what he's meaning when he says this. We should be careful that we do not start to think about the Christian life in terms of loving God only. Sadly, it can be easy for us at times to say, well, yeah, of course, of course I love God. And it can be harder for us to love the people that are right around us. This is why Jesus bundles these two things when he is asked, what is the greatest goal of the law? This is why he says it this way. This is why he does it in this order. It can be easy to express our appreciation for the Bible, our love for God and for his word, and we can even talk in terms that we want to obey the Bible, and yet it can be so hard to put those things into practice when we deal with other sinful people. So the connection to other people is not kind of like a second-rate kind of obedience here. This is flowing out of love for God, and it is equal in duty for us to obey. Again, I know the word duty scares some of you because it sounds like an oh, obligation, I have to do this. This is the privilege of every child of God that we take what his word says and we put it into practice. This is so important that we be connected to one another. This is one reason why at Grace we do not live stream our services. Some people have asked, why don't you stream your services? It's not like we're some kind of Luddite society and we think technology is horrible and whatever. I have a phone. <laughs> that doesn't say much. <laughs> but here's what, here's what I mean. We do not live stream our services because we have a conviction from texts like this that say, we got to be together as a church of God. I don't want you to get comfortable sitting in your living room, watching a screen, thinking, oh, I'm part of the body of Christ. Now, I am not condemning churches who do this. That's great. If that's the way they're going to do things, God bless them, and I hope that it's an effective tool for their ministry. But I want you here, sitting next to each other, smelling one another. we got to be here together. If you are going to love the people of God who are around you, you got to be with them. That might be a horrible reason to not live stream the service. I don't know. You can talk to me about that later. But we want you here. We want you engaged. We will never repeat what happens this morning. Never. Whether you watch it, listen to it, it will not be the same. This is unique. The gathering of the people of God is unique. And we want to celebrate that. We want you here, engaged. We're not after some kind of growth movement and, oh, the more people here, the better I feel. It's, it's not what it is. But if we're going to love one another, if we're going to experience the love of God and then translate that into our horizontal relationships, we've got to be here. 
you got to be here. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. Now, I want to finish here by just asking a question and then making a couple of practical applications for us. And I'm not going to go through like an exhaustive list. You're going to have to fill in some of the blanks, so hopefully you've been paying attention. And listen now as we go through. So I'm going to ask you a question as we close, and then I'm going to make a couple comments. Are you connected to God, first of all, and primary, and are you connected to other believers in this local body? Are you connected to God? Let's start with that one. What does that mean? Well, I mean, do you know him? I do not assume that because you are sitting here this morning, you have a vibrant and solid relationship with the Lord. And if you are here and you say, I don't even know what you're talking about, what does that mean? The first step for you is to repent of your sin and receive the free gift of salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. So stop putting your faith in yourself and put your faith in Jesus. Be united to him by faith and watch that grow. So maybe that's the first step. Now for those of us who are believers, who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, what does this look like to be connected to God? What does it look like to strengthen that connection so we have what we need to be obedient and to help those around us? I have two things. Engage with his word individually and engage with his word corporately. You notice that the word is central in both of those things. We cannot know God outside of his word. We, we can see things about him as we look at the created world, but you want to know him, you've got to open the Bible. So first, be engaged individually. I'm, I'm asking you to build into your life regular rhythms of study. And I don't mean study like you have four notebooks and original languages open and maybe a scroll. You get bonus points if you get a scroll, by the way. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get a copy of the word of God and every day open it. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you a Bible. We've got those. But build into your life the regular study that is reading of the word of God and just ask a question. What is this saying? How can I obey this? How can I be encouraged by this? We gotta, you got to do this. If you want to know God, you have to know his word. Second thing, engage with his word corporately. What does that mean? Well, what are we doing right now? We are together opening up the Bible and engaging with it. That's what we do every Sunday here at Grace. So as you come to worship on a Sunday morning, prepare your heart for that. You can go on the website. You can see the text that we're going to be preaching for the coming week. You can see the songs that we're going to be singing in the coming week. And you can use that information to prepare your heart to engage with the word when we come together. That doesn't take long. You're probably on the computer anyways, doing something or another. So just click over there and find out what we're doing. Engage corporately. Don't just come and use this as a chance to rest up before you hit the rest of your day. Engage. Be involved as we preach the word, sing the word, exhort the word, come around the table in the word. We are Grace Bible Church. A very intentional name because we want everything we do to be focused on the word of God. So, Engage with the word individually and engage corporately. Now, what about the second part? How do we maintain and strengthen connection to one another? 
Again, this is not an exhaustive list. I have three short things and we'll be done. Be here, grow here, serve here. Okay? This is going to sound like a commercial. I promise it is not. Let's start with the first one. Be here. If you are going to be connected to the people of God, you have to be around the people of God. That's not hard. You know that, right? So, take advantage of the opportunities that are around you to interact with other brothers and sisters in the church. If, if the Sunday morning is your only interaction, these are not going to be life-giving relationships. If, if the three-minute conversation in the lobby is the only connection you have to someone, probably not going to be the person you go to. So I'm just encouraging you. There are things that we, we don't have a busy schedule at Grace. We are not after being the church that has something going every night. We want to keep things simple so that we have time to engage with one another. So take advantage of things like uh, fellowship meals tonight. Come and hang out and talk with some people. Rub shoulders with them. Get to know who they are. Get in a community group. Fellowship with people who are different than you. <gasps> yes, they are different. And that's a good thing. But get with those people. Come to a Bible study. Come, I know, to a member meeting. <laughs> you can interact with people in a different way. So I'm saying be here. If you want to be connected to the people of God, be here. Second thing, grow here. Now the beauty of things like Bible studies is that they're a twofer, right? So in this context, with a Bible study, not only are you engaging and connecting with the Word of God and with Him, but you are also engaging and connecting with the people of God. And as you do this, as you grow together, you're going to come to understand, oh, well, I didn't know he went through that same thing two years ago. I didn't know she experienced that. And you start to develop those relationships and you grow together so that these do become the brothers and sisters that you count on, that you rely on. Nobody wants to live a life of isolation. And I'm encouraging you, I'm exhorting you as your pastor, get here, grow here. It is for your good. I am... I am not after a big church. I, I do not care if we pack this place out and it's, oh man, how many people did you have on Sunday? I don't care about that. I care that you are connected to God and connected to one another. And if for some reason grace is not the place for you and you just say, yeah, I, I can't fully engage here, I will help you find a church where you can use the gifts that God has given you, where you can grow and you can show up. It's not about me and it is not about grace. It is about you being connected to God and being connected to his people. And if that can't happen here, that's okay. We will help you find a church where that can happen. I am not after filling this thing up every Sunday for just the sake of having numbers. I want you to grow I want you to know God. I pray that that's here, but if it's not, you need to get somewhere where you can do that. Third, so be here, grow here, serve here. One of the best ways to build relationship with other believers is to serve alongside of them. And like I said, this is not a commercial. I am not reaching out and saying, hey, we got a bunch of stuff we need help with, but hey, we got a bunch of stuff we need help with, and this is a really good opportunity for you to get plugged in. There is something about working alongside someone else that forms a really strong bond. And especially guys, sometimes it's harder for us to kind of get involved and to be kind of just sit in your garage and whatever. No, for men especially, working alongside someone else is a wonderful way 
to build connection and to use the gifts that God has given you. My favorite verse in 1 Peter is 1 Peter 4.11. You know what Peter says? As each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. How many people have received a gift? Each one. Everyone. And Peter says, use it. Use it as stewards of God's grace. So I pray that as we enter in now to this coming year, whatever that looks like, some of you are in seasons of life where it is not realistic for you to be involved in those ways. That's okay. But how can you encourage other people? How can you pray for other people? How can you strengthen the connection even if it doesn't look the way that it looks for somebody else? I pray that this is the flavor of our church that we have strong connection to our Father through his word and that we have strong connections to one another. A church like that will stand. A church like that will be effective in gospel ministry and I pray that God gives us grace to do it. Let's pray and ask him for help. Father, we need your help. We need your strength. None of us on our own are inclined to just dive into your word or to engage with the people around us. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us in these areas. So I pray that you would do it, God, that you would come and give us strength and give us hope and give us determination to be obedient to you and to follow your example and to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and our mind. And would we love those around us more than we love ourselves? It's so easy to be stingy with our time and our resources, the gifts that you've given to us. Father, release our grip on these things and help us to engage for your glory and for the good of this local body. We thank you for this instruction, God, and I pray that you would make it a reality here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.